Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. Whether you're a pastor or a volunteer in your local church, Ministry in Motion is here to equip you. Today's program is part three of a special series on servant leadership. Our guest today is Dr. Gordon Beats. Gordon, thanks so much for joining us in this series. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, in our first two programs, we looked at servant leadership as an oxymoron. The second one, we looked at Nehemiah and the case history of, of Nehemiah and his extraordinary leadership. In this program, we want to emphasize pastoral leadership. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a pastor, Gordon. You always haven't been the president of Southern Adventist University. You've been pastor for quite an extensive period of time. I actually, that was my first uh, responsibilities was being a pastor. My father was a president of a conference when I was born. And so I always envisioned myself at some point in my career having some administrative uh, experience. But uh, pastoral uh, leadership was uh, most of my life actually was spent there. Right. And I think when I first started out, I had some misconceptions of what maybe uh, pastoral leadership was. I can recall going to a class that I took at one time where the teacher was asking what we expected out of the class. What did we expect to learn? And I suggested that I wanted to learn how to use power to control people. Whoa. <laughs> and that uh, was a perfectly inappropriate uh, request because it's just the exact opposite of what servant leadership does. Yeah. Servant leadership is an approach where you are not using people to build yourself up. You are building people up in any way that you can by using your influence and, and, and loving the people that you're working with. Right. So that was kind of a bad start, I think, to leadership. There's, <clears throat> there's these two contrasting approaches, and I guess I could couch them in the extremes. On the one hand, there's the very authoritarian pastor who would uh, come in and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what our plans are. This is where we're going. Follow me. Uh, there's the more consensual building pastor who doesn't come in and say, what do you all want to do? He has influence, mm -hmm. but he does develop a consensus among the people on the church board or on the deacon's board or whatever group that they're working with or their whole congregation to say, what direction do we want to take this church? And when you've developed that level of consensus among the people, then when the pastor leaves, the mission continues. It's the, it uh, keeps going. It's not that everything is dependent on you. I can recall going to a, a large church as pastor once when lots of things were happening that I didn't know about. <laughs> in a very small church, nothing happens in a sense without the pastor being the kind of power behind it. Yes. But I think it's really important for the, for the pastor to connect with the people and then have them use their gifts in accomplishing the goal. <clears throat> One time we had a nominating committee at a church and you know many times those are a real challenge to decide who's going to do what job and so forth. And I decided this time instead of looking at offices and finding out who's going to fill that office, we would look at every person in the church and look at their gifts 
And so we would t went through the alphabet. Every person, the nominating committee said, here's John Doe. What would he best do in serving the church? And that way we were engaging everyone in the church rather than simply selecting a few leaders to do things. It sounds like you were, you're describing there building leaders, um, building individuals, bu building leaders for ministry. And that, of course, has a, the benefit of longevity because once you've built or grown a leader, then the ministry that they've started or the ministry that they're involved in has a, a significant time span, yeah. not just the, the period of time that the, the nominating committee might give them, for example. And you don't have to always keep motivating the people because if they're using their spiritual gift, if they're enjoying what they're doing, then they're going to continue that process without you standing behind them with a, a prod to encourage them to now go and keep doing this, you know, go and keep doing this. Yeah. And so it's, it's, not, uh, it's not the same kind of uh, approach. It's an, an approach where people are motivated because they're fulfilling their spiritual gifts. Gordon, do you have an example for us where somebody discovered a ministry was using their spiritual gift and it really led to a significant change not only in the person but perhaps the church as well. I remember a, uh, a church that I pastored in California where someone caught the vision of a tape ministry mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't, you know, they, they bought equipment, they bought tapes, they, they recorded, they, they did all the work. No one had to sit down and encourage them to do things. They, they did a significant tape ministry, providing tapes for shut-ins, providing sermons for shut-ins, uh, mailing tapes and doing the whole thing. And it, it was not only their ministry, but it impacted the church because it wasn't something that someone imposed on them. It was something that they envisioned. I think that's true of Sabbath school teachers, the uh, people that, uh, that teach young people in Sabbath school that have that vision and that motivation. Uh, they can very easily do it for a long time and do it very, very well for all of the, the offices of the church. Exactly, yeah. Now, growing people, building ministries, um, and leading and serving in this way, is, is there something that you've you've seen and experienced that has really transformed an individual as a result of perhaps a, a change of life where once they were authoritarian, autocratic, and, and something's gelled and there's been a complete change in their ministry, for example. I'm not sure I can think of a specific person, but I do think that there is a style of leadership that results in that, and that is making sure that the servant leader is a listening person who, again, is trying to tune in to where that individual is and draw out their spiritual gifts by truly listening to them mm -hmm. rather than having simply their own agenda. The... Uh, the servant leader has more questions than answers and more opportunity to engage people than simply to uh, direct people. And I, I guess, I think listening skills are really important for pastoral leadership. Okay. Um, so we, we, we're listening, we're hearing, and we're responding on a, on a needs basis. Um, Gordon, I'd like to come back after this break 
and talk with you some more, particularly about strategic planning and the place of strategic planning in leadership of a local church and how that practically works. Thank you. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is servant leadership, and this is part three in a series with Dr. Gordon Beats. Gordon, tell us about the importance of strategic planning um, and, and how that impacts upon servant leadership. I think, it, as we have been talking about, it's very important to use the gifts of the congregation in your planning. Uh, I pastored a church one time in California where we actually spent a weekend taking the people of the church, actually everybody in the church who was able and willing to come, and spent our time reflecting on our community, reflecting on the gifts of the church, and determining what would be the best approach for us to use going forward. And the process included the entire congregation. People that feel like they have an influence of the decision that's made, feel empowered to implement the decision. Right. So is, if it was my plan, then, well, it's the pastor's plan. The pastor, you go ahead and do your plan and you let us know how it comes out. Mm -hmm. If it's the community's plan, if it's the entire church's plan, then everybody puts their shoulder to the wheel to see that it's accomplished. And so I think it's important to look at the needs of the community. And many times there are surveys that uh, churches do to determine what the needs of the community are, mm -hmm. and then to reach out to help in that community. It's not just the church's agenda that needs to be accomplished in the community that that church is located in. The agenda needs to be somewhat developed by the community itself. What are the needs? Are they health needs? Are they uh, homeless needs? Are there uh, food needs? What are some of the needs that a church can, can uh, help in that community? <clears throat> I think there's a question that can be asked of any church or any pastor. If your church disappeared next week and was no longer in the community, would anybody notice? Yeah. Would they notice that it's gone? If they wouldn't notice, you're not doing the work of Jesus in that community. Mm. There needs to be a way that we do more than simply serve ourselves. We're servant leaders to the community as well. And so we need to be serving that community. And I think the best way to serve the community is find out what those needs are, do some strategic planning, build on the gifts of the congregation, and work in ways that you can help that community, rather than simply gathering once a week and scratching each other on the back and going home. Yes, yeah. Now, with, with that approach, how do you find that leads to a, a consistent ministry within the community? <clears throat> Again, if it's, if it's built by the church and it's not dependent necessarily on the gifts of the pastor, but it's dependent on the gifts of the entire congregation, then it's consistent when the pastor comes and goes. The church is not owned by the pastor. The church is owned by the members. It is a community church. And they need to buy the strategic plan. They need to buy into the vision. 
and carry that vision, vision forward. And then when it comes time to have a new pastor, they'll seek to match that pastor with the needs of that particular community and that church. Yeah. Have you found in your experience that sometimes a church needs like a, a fresh new approach to, to start? Um, just wrestling with that consistency because th there can be kind of a tiredness that comes in a congregation, kind of same old, same old. How, how do we consistently do a, a ministry but yet keep it fresh? And that's where I, I suppose maybe the new blood of a, a new pastor leader can help sometimes mm -hmm. bring in a, a little new slant on things, a little bit of a new vision. But it, uh, it shouldn't be solely dependent on his vision. He should be able to, uh, shall we say, light the fire yeah. and inspire the people maybe in a particular direction in their, in their community service. Yeah. It, and then I think if, if you found something that is working, mm -hmm. uh, don't bounce around a lot. I'll have to say that I, looking back on my ministry, I think I was a little bit entrepreneurial. I'd have one great idea one year and we'd work on that. And the next year I'd have another idea and next year I'd have another idea. And I think the people felt a little scattered. If you find a ministry feeding the homeless, and you want to uh, pursue that ministry, don't go to another ministry the next year and another ministry the next year. Find something where you can make a long-term impact on that community. Mm. And, and then you will be known, I think, in that community for that ministry. And if that church would suddenly disappear, people would know it. People would realize there's something missing now because our community is not being served by the ministry of, of this community, this church. Yeah, yeah. Now, in an earlier program, we looked at the example of Nehemiah and his high investment mm -hmm. in terms of what was happening in his period. Thinking that through and thinking of a pastor today, what's, what's the in investment that a, a, a local pastor needs to put in there? Um, do they need to have the same investment as Nehemiah? Is that practical today? Um, and avoiding the, the, the pastor-centric church, if you know what I mean. It is true that pastors are staying longer in churches today than they did when I was first a pastor. When I was first a pastor, they were moved every few years and they didn't have the continuity. So pastors are staying longer today. I think a, a pastor must not have the mindset of this is a stepping stone to some other organization or some other church. This is not a stepping stone to a larger church or to a job in a conference or some other place. The pastor must be fully committed to that church and to that congregation. And that's demonstrated, I think, through his, uh, his life there and that he's not simply looking somewhere else. It's like when you talk to somebody and they're always looking over your shoulder like they're, well, yeah, I want to talk to that person too. I want to talk to that person rather than really yeah. focusing. And I think it's important for pastors to really focus on that congregation and make it their life. And again, the people will know that and you will develop servant leader influence and mm. they'll, they'll follow some of the, the uh, ideas and directions you have in mind. Thanks for those insights, Gordon.
We'll be right back with more of Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is servant leadership. And this is part three in a special series of servant leadership that we're doing with Dr. Gordon Beats. Now, Gordon, one of the most powerful people in a church organization is a local church pastor. The pastor has a tremendous amount of power in terms of persuasion, opportunity to speak, opportunity to lead, um, to I guess even he has the power, he or she has the power to force opinions and views almost on a weekly basis upon a, a, a community of people. Management of that power, how, how is that done responsibly and carefully? <clears throat> that's, a, that's an excellent question. And, and we tend to think of power in, in ways of authoritarian power and control. And clearly, because a pastor has the position that he has, he has positional influence and power. And of course, the fact that he speaks every week and is able to communicate to the congregation and develop even more influence, that, that power increases significantly. Uh, there's a, there's a story told about a, uh, a lion that was walking through the jungle and it came to a rabbit and said, who's the king of the jungle? And the rabbit said, oh, you are Mr. Lion, you are Mr. Lion. And he comes to a donkey and says, who's the king of the jungle? And the donkey says, oh, you are Mr. Lion, you are Mr. Lion. He comes to an elephant and asks the elephant, who's the king of the jungle? The elephant grabs the lion with his trunk and throws him up and down and stomps on him a few times and walks away. And the lion kind of looks up and says, well, you don't have to get mad because you don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of how we think about power sometimes. And that is, it's, a, it's like it's control over other people. One of the things that comes to me, and this is kind of a transparent moment when I'm driving a car and I'm on the freeway and someone is following me too close or someone blows by me too fast or someone cuts me off my natural human reaction is that kind of I'll show them mm -hmm. I'll drive faster I'll drive quicker I'll do whatever and mm -hmm. It's, that's, I think, a negative sense of power. It's, it's a bad sense of power of, of using that influence, that position to do things that I think are not respectful of people and are not loving of people. I think it's dangerous to use the pulpit in the congregation as a place of of power in that negative sense of the word, where you are using it to control people in some way or another. Exactly. So a person has to be truly committed to the Lord and spend a lot of time in prayer to not allow that to become an ego-driven place where you are using your position to uh, impose uh, personal priorities and personal things that are not really growing from the spirit of, spirit of God. 
Right. So, so prayer. Another suggestion I would have is preaching from the text rather than opinions yes. um, right. and, and letting the word of God speak rather than an opinion finding a voice. Absolutely true. And I think that's where some pastors have gotten away from uh, the exegetical textual approach to preaching. Uh, where is it where someone said you hold the scripture in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand and you are able to then apply the scriptures to contemporary circumstances without uh, injecting your own, your own ego or your own perspectives too strongly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when we, we think about the absolute power that Jesus had. True. When you think that he held in his, figuratively in his hands, the eternal destiny <clears throat> of those people that he was surrounding himself with, and yet the, the way that he chose it's an extraordinary picture and example, isn't it? Good leaders are good followers. Good leaders are good followers. You, and you, good leaders are servant leaders. Jesus came not to show off his power. He came to empower us. Mm. He came not to um, uh, give himself glory. He yeah. came to give us glory. He left glory yeah. to empower us. And that's the same thing we need to do with other people. Yeah. And that is seek to strengthen them and their spiritual gifts as we are our pastors. I like that point that good leaders are good followers. But by the same token, a good leader wants to lead leaders. That's true. Rather than followers. That's right. How does that work? Yeah, sometimes poor leaders are threatened by other good leaders. But I think good leaders build leadership. Yeah. and encourage people to take initiative and to develop their own power, their own position, their own authority, and, and encourage them in that regard because they're not threatened by the leadership of others. Yeah. Now, Gordon, we're down to just the last minute or so of the program. <clears throat> I wonder if we could return to a very significant text on this, back to Matthew 20. Would you like to share that text and just reflect on it for a moment, please? Absolutely. <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples when they were looking like the rulers of the age, you know, who express power over other people, he said, not so with you. You don't function like worldly leaders do. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That is the vision that God has for us. As, as leaders, to not exercise power and authority over others like the Gentiles do, but to serve each other, thereby developing influence. And leadership is influence. And that makes you a, a good leader when you are influencing others for Jesus. Thank you. Thanks very much, Gordon. And thank you for joining us. Join us next time on Ministry in Motion. But until then, God bless you.